and welcome to Scoreline Extra, the KCLR podcast taking the best interviews from our weekend shows. On this episode, you'll hear from IRFU President Carloman Des Kavna on redundancies in the IRFU due to a huge loss in revenue due to no crowds at games. We also talk Six Nations, Leinster and more. Carlo and District League Secretary Brian O'Reilly was on about Carlo's plans for soccer for this year and their plan for the new season. Jim Bulger, Carlo GA Chairman, on returning to training and league action and the effect on the county itself. Mark Duffy on running 5 kilometres every 5 hours for a total of 55 hours for the Gerlach Nascimento family which starts on Friday 16th of April. And we spoke to Ireland's number one surfer Garod McDade who talks Olympic qualification, life as a surfer and more. Des, you're the IRF, current IRFU president. You've been Leinster Rugby president in the past as well. You were there uh, when they won their first Heineken Cup in 2009. I remember I was at it myself. Um, a member of Carl Rugby Club, of course, as well over the years. Huge history with all that as well. Des, you, you're the IRFU president at a tough time now as well with COVID and everything. Uh, we'll talk about the redundancies in a, in a couple of moments, but in general, um, being an IRFU president at this time is quite a tough one, I suppose. I think it's very tough, Stephen, because uh, there is a, a well-worn path that is travelled by presidents every season when they're appointed, and and that includes effectively writing off every weekend from, I suppose, late August until until the following year because uh, b- between attending different functions that will be held in the various clubs around the country, at- attending uh, various games played by provinces or played in the, played in the AIL or, or the Leicester Junior League or whatever, uh, and internationals. Uh, I mean, all that for me has been uh, something I've missed out on. Um, I have been, I suppose, confined to, to my home for an awful long time. Uh, I watch the games on the TV the same as everyone else. I probably do three to four meetings a week on teams, um, and uh, that's the extent of my involvement at the moment. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's going to improve and uh, we'll get back to normal or to something near near normal towards the end of the summer or early autumn. Is a like I suppose Des, it's a it's a strange question to ask in a way though. But are you enjoying your time as it? You know, being in the role, or but obviously you're saying you should be travelling the length and breadth of the country, meeting rugby people, meeting, uh, you know, the presidents of, uh, you know, the Scottish rugby team or whatever it is, um, you know, with the Six Nations and the Interpros and everything else like that. Um, you get a chance to do that again, do you think? Well, obviously, if we get back to normal towards the end of the year, we have the Six Nations next year, and that will give me the opportunity to meet up with my presidents uh, f- from this season but for all of us it's it, it, it's been very difficult. I remember speaking to the English president uh, about last probably late March or early April and he, he said to me in fun, you know Des Cabinet we might be the only presidents in the, in the, in the history of our unions not to attend an international game and, and we both laughed because it was it sounded extraordinary that could happen and that has that's what has happened and it's been very frustrating but i've enjoyed i've enjoyed working with the committees uh we've had to work through a, a, a pretty busy agenda in recent months uh both on the management committee and the irfu 
executive committee um, and the various subcommittees in trying to manage ourselves out of this crisis because it is a huge crisis like it's a huge huge financial crisis and you know I, I look back to about three years ago we saw land in Tala and we had had earmarked that money to help clubs across Ireland in developing their grounds and developing 3G pitches and so on and and that money which was put put to one side for the domestic game because the I suppose the land involved had been purchased by monies that were generated in the domestic game back in the in, in the eighties, and um, that money was put one side for club development, and that has had to be used now to uh, pay off the debts that are in, occurring in relation to the you know, lack of income uh, arising from the impact of COVID nineteen. Yeah, and obviously there's sad news and something no one ever wants to do 20 non-playing staff being made redundant by the IRFU how hard was that? Yeah well the first part of it was uh, it, it was a voluntary redundancy scheme and I think we, we, we there were 20 people who, who decided to, to apply for that and were facilitated but on top of that then there are a small number of compulsory redundancies that have to be uh, had to be delivered on as well and and it's all because uh, our income has been shattered um, and we have to we have to do everything we can <clears throat> to try and manage ourselves out of this and there's you know I would be concerned to ensure as far as possible that the important parts of the of the game are protected you know the development of young players has to be protected we have to work with the provinces to ensure that the guys who are like young Corkery from Kilkenny and the guys, I think there's a couple of boys from Wexford have come through recently. You know, young kids at West Cork, for example, in, there's a huge number of kids coming through in West Cork at the moment. Um, and we've got to ensure that we protect the investment in the clubs to ensure that boys continue to come through and perhaps even in greater numbers because that is the future. But at times of cutbacks, you know, it's, uh, it's everyone fighting to try and protect different parts of, of the infrastructure and, and, and different parts of the business of the game. Um, and and you know, we have, I think we've been very, we've been very lucky across all the sporting organisations that the government has helped all the sports. And I think it's important to put on record our gratitude to the government for the time, for the monies that they have contributed to rugby and indeed to other sports. Yeah, absolutely, Des. It's a tough time for all sports as well, um, including the IRFU. And any help at all is um, greatly received, um, for want of a better phrase. Um, Do you envisage any more redundancies, Des, before the year is out? Yes, I think there will be a small few, but but the bulk has been achieved now, but there will be a small few. Um, I suppose one thing I should mention in in the course of this interview is that... um, We've been well served by the rugby department of the IRFU, um, which is led by Collie McEntee, who came from the sub Kildare there, um, just past Nace, and played his his underage rugby in Nace Rugby Club. He's the head of rugby now in the IRFU. And Collie's team have been developing webinars which are made available to coaches for underage kids and both boys and girls. Uh, I know it was one last week in relation to girls, and uh, it, it was a webinar on, on how to kick the ball 
those webinars have been huge in, ter- in terms of maintaining the interest, helping coaches to to develop their skills in advance of return to rugby, and hopefully we'll see you know non contact uh, initially taking off maybe later in the month, and then in the summer or late summer we might be able able to see a return to. Maybe substantially what was there in the past. I don't think it'll. I don't think everything will get back to normal until perhaps later in the year. But we've got to be ready. We've got to to try and in, and and uh, try and ensure the coaches of underage kids and the coaches of of the junior players and the coaches of senior players that they have every opportunity to develop. That the referees have opportunities to develop through the seminars or the webinars that we're using. And that when the get-go arrives, that we're all prepared and we're all ready to move with it. And, and as I said, that work is proceeding. And it is, it's, um, I think it's a great uh, development at times of adversity. Yeah, absolutely, Des, absolutely. Um, and Des, moving away from the off-field stuff, I suppose, how do you evaluate Ireland's Six Nations campaign under Andy Farrell this year? I think it was pretty good. I mean, I think we we were very, very unlucky in our first two games. Um, I think, you know, we played, even with 14 men, I felt we should have beaten Wales. And I think there will be a lot of regrets that we let that, that one slip away. Um, I think also against France, it was a game that we feel we could have won. Uh, but we then built a little bit towards the end. And Obviously, the performance against England was the one that we were expecting to see earlier in the campaign. That it arrived at in the in the last game, and it was a great it was a great performance. We have to build on that. Uh, we have to, I think, as we go forward. You know, CJ Stander now will obviously be uh, returning home, so the back row is going to be an area where we're going to see players like Cale and Doris, um, Young Coombs from Munster. Uh, and other players, you know, competing for those opportunities that will arise in the back row. And I think we will see over the next couple of years, Andy Farrell will be developing the squad with the World Cup in mind. Um, I mean, the Six Nations is hugely important. It's uh, hugely important from a financial point of view, but it's also important in terms of developing uh, our squads, both men and women, towards the uh, towards World Cups. And uh, yeah, I think overall, I think we're reasonably positive about how things evolved over the Six Nations, but it was a pity we had a bad start. Yeah, absolutely. The French match was only lost by two points and yeah. Peter Manny's red card, you know, obviously put a huge dent in that Wales game, which was there for the taking as well. So when you, small margins, days as we keep saying in professional oh, rugby, um, yeah. but like... What's great uh, is the amount of the, like, for example, back rows. You mentioned Gavin Coombs. He's an awesome player. He was fantastic against Toulouse last weekend. That's right. He's He's a young man. It's interesting, you know, we saw very few players coming from West Cork up to recent years. And it was a French guy who came over for a, a career break who happened to be a rugby coach. He's now back in France actually coaching uh, one of the professional teams over there. But he was in West Cork for a couple of years and people got to know he was a rugby head and they got him involved coaching in Bandon Rugby Club and then at a grammar school. And eventually these young kids, the Witcherleys, the Coombs, uh, young John Hodnett, 
there's about seven or eight players who have suddenly come through from West Cork. Uh, and that's a fantastic development. And it demonstrates, and I think Trevor Hogan in a recent article in the, I think it was the Irish Times, uh, Trevor, although he's a, a Munster, ex-Munster player, he, he he's working now with Leinster in um, in the development area. And he has said, although we're getting large numbers of kids coming through from the club game, we're only mining at the surface at this stage and we have to have a deep dive and we have to find and, and, and they're there there are more quality players around throughout the country uh, who will come through their clubs and hopefully we'll see more of those people putting pressure on the existing uh, experienced professionals and in the context of Ireland for the next couple of years I mean I think Gavin Coombs is about 21 Caelan Doris is probably 23 mm-hmm. uh, Jack Conan um Scott. We have young players who are there coming to their best and uh, you know it's great to see it. Absolutely and Scott Penny with Leinster. Scott no. is extraordinary. He yeah. reminds me a little bit of uh, you remember Neil Back who played for Leicester in England. Oh, and, yeah. uh, uh, Scott always looks on TV as if uh, he's not the biggest guy but he's actually six foot and about 16 and a half stone and he's a tremendous he's, he has a tremendous engine uh, and he will certainly put a lot of pressure on uh, on the back rows, you know, moving forwards, going forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's one thing, Des, that it took me a while to get used to when I started going to games and meeting the players. Um, is the height of them? It's very, very deceptive on the telly. You look at a scrum half and you think, God, God, he's tiny. Um, yeah. And it's only when I go to the matches and I stand beside someone and I go, Oh my God, he's the same height as me. I'm six yeah. foot one. Yeah, and then you, the back rows come in. <laughs> And they're about six something, and they're towering over you. And the second rows come in, and they're bigger again. Right. Um, right. He yeah. is. He's quite. Scott Penny's quite a tall chap, but he looks small on the TV. But by you God, know, he's. I suppose me standing beside Devon yeah. Toner or James Ryan, <laughs> it makes him look small. Even Johnny I mean, Sexton. I, I remember when I first met Devon Toner, I used to regularly go into the dressing room after the games with him, and I was president in Leinster, and we'd stand out beside the door until we were invited by Michael Shaker. And and Devon would have to bend down to get into the room because he of the door jam. He'd be banging his head off the off the door frame if he didn't make a significant bend to try and get into the room. And we were just amazed at at, at his height, you know. And uh, and he's a big one this afternoon. Over Leinster play Exeter. I mean, we've lost James Ryan, who was a huge loss. But to be able to call on Devon Toner and Scott Fardy in the second row yeah. is fantastic, you know. Yeah, look who we have on the bench as well. Another uh, covering second row as well. Another man coming through. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I just it, it's fantastic. Is, he's a phenomenal Ryan, athlete. Yeah. Ryan Baird is unreal. Yeah. He yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would. You know, it's funny when you're. I'm not involved on a day-to-day basis anymore in Leinster, but every so often I hear a player's name mentioned, and uh, like just a hooker there now. He's probably third choice at the moment. Um, Dan. His name I forget. Dan Sheen, is it? Dan Sheen. And everyone tells me, you know, he's going to be a, a future great for Ireland and probably the Lions. But when you look at him in his raw state, he's, he's a huge man for a hooker and very great. He's, he's a fantastic ball carrier. But you have these players right throughout the province, right throughout the province is now starting to come through. And we're seeing players coming through in Ulster. We're seeing players coming through in Connacht. Uh, and, t- and when you mention Connacht, I'm, I'm always thrilled to watch Tom Daly, who has got a run of games. I remember last year he 
he was getting he was in and out of the team and I heard a report that he spoke to to the coach and Andy Friend and he said to him, Look at Andy, I'm not going to develop a longer run of games and he got a run of games and now Tom is I think he's one of the first names on the sheet at yep. Connacht. He yeah. surely is. It's great to see Tom developing over there as well. Absolutely. And even yeah. Brian Byrne heading off to Bristol. Um, get well, Brian's had a, I yeah. watched Brian playing for Bristol Bears uh, on a regular basis, and uh, I regularly emailed his dad to tell him how good he's doing. Like, I, th- I think Brian has had a fantastic season up to now. I love watching. I love the type of game that Bristol Bears play, and Brian Byrne fits that exactly. Yeah. But he, he, like again, he's a fantastic player with a fantastic engine. How he keeps going for he's. He's starting now all against for Bristol Bears. He's on f- for about an hour, and he makes a huge contribution when he's on. Mm-hmm. And of course, then his twin brother Ed would be on in second half today for Leinster. Yep. So the Burns have done fantastically well. And let's just remind our listeners: Tom Daly, Brian, and Ed Burns are all Carlo men. Um, that's that's why the front and centre we're talking about Tim Corkery as well he was on the Leinster 18 today they lost unfortunately uh, to Connacht earlier on now it's time on Scoreline Extra to hear from Carlo District League Secretary Brian O'Reilly who talks about Carlo's plans for soccer for this year and their plan for the new season Yeah, we're very much up in the air, Stephen. Nobody really knows anymore. Um, I remember being on with you just at Christmas time and we were confident we were getting our season finished. I had been on with Shane last October and we said whatever happened, we'd finish our season this year. But it's just dragged and dragged and dragged and dragged and still still no sign. Like, I know the kids can go back in non-contact pods on the 26th of April, but nobody knows about adults. And We've made a decision kind of thing that we're not going to be able to finish any season because it's not looking like we'll be back before June. And We only had two games played in the Premier League and in the other divisions, so and unfortunately this year is going to be a write-off um, and, and hope to get back in time for a 2021-2022 season, which is disappointing for everybody because there was a huge amount of work done. Myself and Noel and Tina and Bernard had We'd registered over a thousand players almost on, on, on the FAI net and on the Comorta system and hours upon hours registering players and all in vain now it, it, it looks unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's it. It'd be very, very hard to run off a league, um, even with a couple of games and that it's just not possible um, and everything else as well. Any prospect of even getting a cup competition or two done, Brian, do you reckon? We, we, we don't think so, to be honest. Well, our only hope is that we want to finish our over 35s. So that was um, a very successful thing that we ran last year. Uh, the clubs had requested we do a little over 35 league. Um, we, normally our over 25 leagues would run from April till the end of September so last year we started one um, when the restrictions were lifted at the end of June and instead of playing the 16 league matches they, the nine teams just played each other once and we ended up with Credit Yard in collection from their eight games both tied on um, 22 points each um, at the top of the table on the last day of the season and we were due to play the playoff the week of the lockdown so we certainly want to finish that and the over 35 is also a cup semi-final stage we want to finish those uh, and then we're going to see if there's an appetite from our clubs to do something similar again this year if we can get back in June slash early July to go in with an over 35 for 9 or 10 weeks um, but for the junior season and the youths and whatever our priority would be very much to um and there's a goal for Aston Villa, Stephen. Oh, no. Of, right in the middle of the of match. <laughs> out of Nottingham. In the 23rd minute. Out of Nottingham. Their first attempt on goal. 
Uh, now remember, Brian, no language, it's a live show. <laughs> and Liverpool have had eight attempts in the first 40 minutes. Oh no. And they're at That's home. Typical our season. That's typical our season. But yeah, so look, we don't, we, we, we just don't feel it would be justified uh, for any reason to have, to have, have any sort of competition really so we're focusing all our efforts and all our energy now in the 2021-22 season starting that in, in early August if we can and we're also going to hopefully propose to run an under 17 and an under 19 youths league um, next season traditionally as you know we do under 18 youths but um, last year's under 18's got no football we had never started their season um, and then obviously the under 16s at juvenile level didn't get any football so to help accommodate those we're going to look at the idea of going with 17s and 19s which we have done over the years but it's been four or five years now since we would have had that in Carlo but that's certainly a suggestion we've put to our clubs and to get that started as well um, as early as we can in August and get people back playing soccer as quick as we can yeah, um, and I suppose after such a lull um, and, and nothing happening for so long, Brian, how big an effect do you think will have a full year of no soccer having participation at at junior and schoolboys level? Yeah, we 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 just don't know. I suppose that was one of the main reasons we felt we had to have an over thirty five last year because we we, we had. We, we, the clubs and everybody had said that if we ha- if they had gone a whole year without football, would they come back? I suppose the appetite out there appears to be like we've, we've been working the scenes. I'm on a lot of Zoom calls at FAI and the LFA and all the team is the same. The, the, and we're talking to our clubs. And the feedback with the clubs is everyone's chomping at the back to get back. Um, now, when the GEA comes back, I suppose that will affect as well and whatever else. But I do know that people out there that have been stuck at home for the last four, five, six months, can't golf, can't do anything, are all chomping at the back. So I think it could go one of two ways. We'd like to think that we, numbers might increase and we might get more people back playing sport now that everyone wants to try and get out and get some exercise. But I suppose until such time as we come back, we, we're not going to know the knock-on effect of, of what the last kind of 12 to 18 months are going to have on us. Yeah, no, that's it, and that's like there's there's even challenges that you probably won't know will present themselves to uh, the Carlo and District League um, organizers like yourselves. Um, you know, when things do resume, um, you know, like you said, it's it's uh, it's sort of a bit of darkness. You don't really know what you're looking into at the moment as well. But like you said, I think, and it's reflective of a lot of things. People cannot wait for sport and training to resume as well. Even getting back training with the teams and a bit of crack and everything as well is something. It is, and, and, and it's an awful pity whilst the government is, are, are trying to be cautious and everything, they've given guidelines. It's an awful pity they haven't given the guidelines for, for adults to, to, to get back into those pods of 15. Like, so what we're kind of looking at is if, if the juveniles are back on the 26th, they're probably looking at another two or three weeks. So you're looking at the middle of May before they allow adults to go back training in pods of 15 non-contact. And then you'd have to allow them, it was so long off, you'd have to allow them at least two or three weeks at that before you could even consider throwing them into a contact game or some sort of a game. So, like, you're looking at the middle of June before them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then a big, long pre-season uh, before they get back to it then as well. But... Uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one, Brian. It is, and and, and uh, local soccer has really taken a huge hit. I know that a lot of sports have, um, but local soccer took a huge, huge hit. They've been out for quite a long time, uh, as well, um, and there's huge numbers playing the game as well. Like you said, in Carlow, Kilkenny, and beyond, in junior schoolboys and girls and everything else, and you know, especially in the middle of trying to build all these leagues as well, particularly the ladies. Yes, yeah, we, we, we had a big ladies league this year because we had a few new teams come in from Kilkenny and we were really looking forward to it. It was going to be 
for biggest cities leagues. Um, and I suppose the concern is will we get the, will we get them back? Hopefully we will get them back. Um, but we just nobody really knows. I suppose is the, is the point, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, it's one, and it's one all, Stephen. All right, <laughs> just before half time. In, in, in injury time, Bobby Firmino in the second minute of injury time. Right, so your your mood has changed back again. You're not as bad now. Um, well, look, your, 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 your listeners are getting the bonus free commentary here on the game. But, uh, uh, yeah, no, the, the ladies ladies will be a big concern for us. Yeah. Um, because we 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 feel that we were we were starting to get a big ladies league and get them back. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, we just don't know, but we're not in a position to say we feel anyway as a league. I don't know what other leagues are doing, but we certainly feel that there's no way we can we can come back because, as you said, if they're not back non-contact in the middle of May, well, then it'll be June before they could even play a pre-season match, um, and it's it's just going to drag on and drag on. So we're just looking forward to giving them the one to try to do pre-season and start yeah. the first or second weekend. Now on Scoreline Extra, it's time to hear from Jim Bulger, Carlo GAA chairman, on returning to training and league action and the effect it's having on the county itself. Yeah, so we're, we're heading for a busy time, Jim, albeit uh, yeah. that things will go well. But let's be honest and let's be fair about it. And I don't want to harbour on it. Dublin and Monaghan didn't do the G any favours during the week. No, and we had precedent as well, you know, with two other counties. So, um Obviously, the the sanctions weren't a deterrent, and uh, it's very disappointing for, particularly for you know the the wider GA who've been adhering to all the protocols, you know, and and uh, reputationally it hasn't done the GA uh, any good, and and uh, especially when we're trying to get you know action back on, and and we were aware that there was a program about to be announced, and uh, and and a start back date for training. So that's where we are at the moment, uh, Brendan. So yeah, and other than that, the are looking at the sanctions now as well at the present. Yeah, and, uh, and and that's the that's the situation. But uh, it's it's very we're very encouraged if we can get back now, Brendan, and we hope to get back safely is the, is the trick, really. You know, because of the numbers and the variants we're dealing with now, as opposed to last year, is another issue, I suppose, Brendan. So yeah, um, in in that context, we can't be anyway complacent. And public health is of paramount importance to us. And I suppose the, it's coinciding with the rollout of the, the, the vaccination program as well, which is uh, starting to get significant traction, particularly with frontline workers and the like. So, so we are encouraged and hopefully we'll keep going in the right direction. But from our own perspective in Carlo, we'll do everything in our powers to make the environment as safe as possible for our players and for our management teams and anybody interacting with our players. Uh, from a training perspective, in the in the in the very near future, which is due to start back training on the 19th, from there on, with the uh, league program starting in May, all going well. Okay. So that's the that's the plan. And I suppose from last year, we have we learned and we we had good protocols in last year, and uh, we will continue with those. And again, as I mentioned, there's no room for complacency given the variance we're dealing with now. But uh, we have. A county uh, COVID supervisor and all of our teams will have uh, COVID supervisors as well that can liaise with the county uh, COVID supervisor Brian O'Neill and um, in addition then clubs that uh, when the juveniles are back training around the, 20, the 26th of May from there on albeit 
social distance uh, in positive 15, they can contact Brian O'Neill for advice in advance as well. But we are used to the protocols we had in last year, and we'll get going at those once again, and doing, as I say, everything in our powers to ensure that we have a safe environment, an environment that's as safe as possible. Uh, outdoors, as we know, is that much more safe than indoor activity, and uh, hopefully things will go from strength to strength, and that we will not have. And today, it's been, we've been very encouraged that sport. We didn't have uh, any case, recorded case, from playing games, which is very encouraging. So if we continue in that vein, we should be all right, please God. With the help of God, Jim. But plans are progressing well for the inter-county teams anyway. And, and looking back, uh, I suppose yeah. the hurlers in Carlow were a little bit unlucky uh, not to be in the Joe Mac final last year. I know we've, we, people have spoken about that. Just unlucky down in Kerry that day and the goal against Antrim at the last minute put them on the back foot. Yeah. And, and, yeah. but, but all is looking well. I know Colm and Turlow have uh, moved on, but uh, the new management have come in. So I think both the footballers and, and the hurlers, they will really uh, be going all out to do it. So are plans progressing well for the get-together? And, and without without forgetting about anybody else involved in Carlow GA it's not all about the senior hurlers and the senior footballers there's lots more happening in Carlow also and in every other county there is there is indeed and uh, and um, I suppose we have one a couple of groups have for the end of 20 players hurling in football as well because you know this particular age cohort had a tough time with their leading set last year many of them uh, some of them are doing their, their leading set this year which is also difficult and uh, and and I suppose uh, the the leading set class of last year didn't have a debs and and didn't have a third level experience that that you would uh, normally associate with with a group going to college for the first time. A lot of the work is done online, so it's been a difficult time for those. And I I, I can empathise with them in a big way because uh, um, because of what they've gone through, and I'd love to see those back on the on the training field in the not too distant future as well. And perhaps that will happen as well. We have obviously minor teams as well, and minor fall under the juvenile for our club, so they'll be back training now on the 26th with their clubs at least. So that's something for them. And then, of course, we have ladies in Camogie that they accommodate. And when we're looking at our training facilities, we get we have a good schedule set out, Brendan, that will ensure that there will be no clash on any night or any day that we will dovetail well with all the teams that are requiring our facilities. So that should work out well for us and make a lot of work going on in the background to ensure uh, we have a smooth programme in place to accommodate that. That's excellent to hear, Jim. And the other thing, Jim, yeah. in relation to the GA, it's not only a, a problem uh, for one county or the other county, but obviously with the pandemic, finances have probably fallen short in all counties and in general with the GA on a national level and international level. So, you know, yeah. it hasn't been easy for county boards and, and county boards need money to keep everything going. And it hasn't been simple. And I suppose different ideas with fundraisers will probably come into the equation. What kind of plans yeah. have Carl or how have they been affected in the pandemic? With yeah, the finances? Well, we have... We've looked. We've, we've had a few ideas, and we've looked at other counties who have had a few unique ideas. And uh, we have a proposal now. We're meeting with the chairman and chairpersons and secretaries on Tuesday night, and we're going to uh, run a proposal by them in relation to a fundraiser that would we hope would happen in the, the next uh, month or so. Uh, in addition, then we have our our club uh, development draw, which will the first draw will be late July, and. Of course, we'd hope to get some people back in to our games once the club championships and leagues get back up and running. But it's uh, it's been a particularly uh, difficult time, and cash flow, as you're aware, is, is a big issue for us at the moment because 
we still have to maintain our facilities. We have to look after our grounds. And indeed, the other day, we, we started a, a program on our pitches to ensure that they're up to standard in both in, in Netwatch Fauna Training Centre and Netwatch Cullen Park and uh, our outside pitch there as well. So a lot of work going on, a lot of bills still coming in. So it is a difficult time, and it's been a difficult time for clubs as well because I suppose the fact that you can't go indoor for a fundraiser as well is, is a difficulty that, that clubs may not have experienced previously as well. But from our own perspective, not having people coming through the styles and playing the football to, to watch our games, it's, you know, not alone is the, is the cupboard there, but the cupboard is maybe gone at this stage as well. We're that, we're that bad at the moment. So hopefully we'll rectify that in the next short while and, and get some cash flow going again. Uh, the bigger picture then would be the club development draw, which is a, a great initiative uh, for clubs as well. And uh, and we might have one or two other uh, ideas in the pipeline then for down the line. But um, certainly getting the crowds back into Netflix Cullen Park and other venues is, is uh, it would be very welcome. And as you alluded to as well, the wider GA have had issues. So central funding for any of our projects, are, you know, there's just going to be very lean for the next couple of years at least I would imagine OK and Jim um, just before I let you go there's still yeah. county championships games to be run off in 2020 do you realistically see them being played at this stage or what do you think will happen there in relation yeah, to last year's championship you know I said it to the clubs involved and, and obviously this is something that I inherited when I took over and I, I, I'm determined that we finish those off I, I would like to uphold the integrity of those competitions at all costs when we do get a window, and, and please God, we will, we, we will, we will go for it. I'm not sure what size of the window, but what I've, you know, my engagement with the with the clubs today, I'm very encouraged that they're very flexible and they are determined, along with us, to ensure that these competitions are finished. And we have a plan in place, and subject to the COVID figures stacking up, we hope to be able to run off the last year's competitions first, then maybe run with our hurling competitions for this year. So there's a defined break before we would start into the 21 football championships again. That's the that's loosely the plan that we will have to fine tune, subject to the window becoming available, Brendan. Yeah, and Carl are not alone there, Jim, because there are several other counties with the same situation. There are, yeah, yeah. there are quite a few, quite a few, Brendan. And um, I, I don't know what their plans are, but certainly where we can, we're determined to, to finish these competitions. Um, a lot of clubs put a big effort in last year and it's very important for players I feel and for the integrity of the competitions as I said to finish those off your players might be in the first year at that level and your players who had maybe intended to retire after last year's championships but it would be a nice way to bow out if you can finish off with a win for some of those players that's for sure yes. or even to start your career with a champ yeah that's true great. so look, we, we have engaged with the clubs and, and we will do everything in our powers to ensure that Okay. those competitions are finished and completed it's a challenging time Jim for chairman of um, club just heard um, <coughs> Des Kavanagh the president of the IRFU with Carol and you know as well on with Stephen yesterday yes. and it's ironic uh, we've had a Six Nations championship and uh, several other matches including the Heineken Cup matches and all as you know and Des hasn't been at a match yet so you know you're president of the IRFU and you can't get out on <laughs> the pitch to be so he, he said himself and the French president said that there might be presidents and never get to see their players on the field it's, it's hard for everybody yeah. isn't it it's very difficult it is very, it's very difficult and, and uh, that's the, the climate and the environment that we're living in and uh, I, I think it's difficult to serve out your tenure without having uh, you know any of the, the perks in that regard attending matches and 
meeting their counterparts from other nations as well. It must be very difficult. But again, I go back to the young people. A year in a young person's life is a hell of a long, lot longer than a year in my life at the moment, you know. And, uh, You're still only a young lad, Jim. People. You're still only a young lad. Yeah, might as well. And I know you spoke about the challenges and we, a few here, but we just had it down like as, in relation to the biggest challenge facing Carlo GA this year. I suppose with the senior footballers, love to get back from, from four, unfortunately to go down. And as I said, two new managers there, but the underage structure going well, the Colts and all the, the yeah. structures that have been brought in. So the Camogie were doing well and, and the girls doing well and uh, ladies football gone very strong in Carlo and all the underage. So the whole thing is everybody worked together. But in your own belief, what is the biggest problem facing Carlo other than COVID and crowds not coming back if we do get them back it will be fantastic what's the biggest challenge you as for chairman Jim Bulger oh, well, the, well, the challenge with a county like ours we always stay close to the wind on finances we, we, we you know we don't we were around the same every year we might be a few bob short or a few bob up but we're, we're never we're never really uh, have that breathing space that maybe other counties could get so it's a it's a challenge to come up with uh, to maximise what we have within Cardo from a financial perspective so it gives us the breathing space Brendan so that the county executive can look strategically at uh, at the county in relation to underage the future of hurling and football and so on within the county because we're preoccupied with finances and fundraising all the time and it's difficult to get away from that's a, a constant challenge uh, on the field of play we'd love to see our senior footballers to get up from Division 4 um, the new management team after Toro had a very positive start I believe and uh, you know unfortunately for our newly appointed uh, senior hurling management under Tom Mullally they haven't even got to look at the whites of the eyes of the players yet so that's a difficulty but I'm looking forward to those meeting up and getting to know each other really well so again League there and McDonough, you know, are are a priority, and the the senior footballers uh, definitely a priority would be to try and you know perform to the best and try and get up out of Division Four once again. And uh, then we have great work going on at under twenty level in the hurling, and we have a new manager going in with the with the football now as well. And uh, you know he, he he knows he knows them very well from the from the minor setup, so. Uh, Bernard Horham so Bernard and his team are are looking forward to to getting going there as well but um, getting the players back um, getting back safely in the sense that apart from the COVID perspective you know you can do as much as you like individually Brendan but when they start going back into contact it's kind of it's like starting up work again You, you have to work hard to a certain extent people will have to become accustomed to the routine again of training and it'll take a while, a couple of weeks to, for that to bed in before they can really start to, to feel the benefits of that because it is to just an adjustment for the body and the mind and that's going to be a challenge in itself as well. So in that context uh, we're, we're, we're very positive that our management teams will do what is necessary to try and get the guys back into that mode again because when you break the habit our routine and we're, we're you know as humans we're all routine creatures of habit if you like and uh, that should be that, that that is a challenge in itself to, to get lads back into that kind of routine where there's uh, contact in, in training and get them used to playing the field uh, again and, uh, and and look at it it'll take a little bit of while to bed in but uh, hopefully that will work out for us as well Brendan <laughs>
now on Scoreline Extra, it's time to hear from Mark Duffy, who's going to be running five kilometres every five hours for a total of 55 hours for the Gerlach Nascimento family. That starts on Friday, the 16th of April. Joined on the line by Mark Duffy. Mark Duffy will, uh, on Friday the 16th of April, starting at 5am, uh, he's one of three of Kilkenny's most amateur of amateur runners. I'll ask him all about that in a moment. But he'd run five kilometres every five hours for a total of 55 hours to raise as much funds for Sherlock Nascimento uh, family. So I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, nine-year-old Emily Sherlock Nascimento is currently in a very early stages of an intense two-year treatment uh, plan for childhood cancer at Our Lady's Hospital in Crumlin and is travelling to Dublin up to three times weekly to receive this treatment. So Mark is one of the three runners. So we should be joined on the phone by Mark Duffy. So you're there, Mark. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, how are you? Not too bad. Mark, that's a fairly intense uh, battle you're going to take on. Uh, fill me in on amateur of amateur. It strikes me that you're not involved in athletics or the other two guys aren't either. No, and nor do three of us look like we're involved in athletics. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might join you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more than welcome, more than welcome. Yeah, no, as I said, uh, the amateur of amateur uh, runners, that's probably be very kind and generous to us. Now. Um, no, listen, we're just... Uh, we're three, we're three, just three guys. We run for a hobby. Um, we run a, you know, we have the normal everyday, um, you know, family work, so on and so forth, all the normal everyday things. So, um, yeah, we just run. We run as a hobby. We run part time, and uh, as you said, this Friday, uh, Friday morning at five o'clock, we're hitting the road around uh, Kilkenny, or more specifically, the kind of Lockboy Ring Road area. Um, to run five kilometres uh, every five hours on the clock for yeah for a grand total of fifty five hours as you were saying and uh, hopefully finishing uh, all going well on around just before this time next Sunday so I'd say around half twelve one o'clock we should be should be due to finish and yeah all to raise um, as much funds and awareness for uh, young uh, Emily Gerlach Nascimento uh, who as you said is. Just started a two-year battle with um two-year intensive treatment um, plan and battle with childhood cancer. So we're just going to do our little bit um, between myself, Trevor, uh, Trevor Cody, and and James Wise, two friends of mine, and uh, we're going to go out and uh, yes, yeah, so try to few bob and a bit of awareness for me and our family. Okay, and how do people donate to you, uh, Mark? Yeah, we have a, a well. The, the challenge is, is run friendly. That's what it's called. So we're on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, uh, run friendly, and then we have a GoFundMe. Again, run friendly, but the links are on the Facebook page. So if anybody wants to go on there, um, look, I know we're living in, in, in time, tough times, people working, COVID and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, um, if anybody could just be in a position just to donate anything they can, just to help help the family. Um, you know, as we've always said, uh, childhood cancer and, and so on, it's, you know, while, while the family are, are hit with this, this kind of thunderbolt of, of news, like that stops their life and want and you know, ordinary everyday life kind of still goes on in, in another way, like, you know, bills still have to be paid, and, you know, mortgage payments have to be made, and car loans and bank loans, the, the usual normal everyday stuff. Yeah. So um, I suppose this is just our way of trying to alleviate a little bit of pressure on the, on the, on the Emily and her, and her mum and dad and her sister, yeah. Okay, and in relation to the the uh, I won't say competitiveness, but in relation to the effort and and what you do, this is yeah. this is not simple. Like, I mean, even for competitive runners, this will be uh, hard enough because you got to get in the right frame of mind in that. But um, have you seen this idea before, or is it just a novel idea that you and the two lads have come up with to do this? Because it's a very it's very very good. It's it's great that you you run and you get a breather and then you go back and do it again. But at the same time, you still have to run the, for the fifty five yeah. hours. Well, it's it's quite funny. You you were saying like you know you get a breather. I've been a 
talking to somebody who did a similar event like this before, they said it's actually, what they found was actually really, really hard because you were nearly stopping and going home and coming back. They actually found that really, really fatiguing and stuff. But look, we're, we're, like I said, we, you know, we run as a hobby. We run part-time. And we've, we've took it serious enough. Like, we've been, we've been training and stuff the last few months. Um, we've all dropped a little bit away. Some of us more so than others. Like, but, uh, um, and we're training away. And uh, look, just going to give it a bit of a shot. Look, it, it's not going to be competitive. It's going to be nice and steady and a bit of friendly banter. And so to draw a little bit of, um, I suppose, a bit of attention to it and a little bit of... Um, a little bit of extra attention to it I suppose we're going to do the whole event in fancy dress costume so if anybody is out and about next weekend in the sea if they see Superman or Batman or Spiderman or I don't know maybe one of his dresses Wonder Woman on the ring road uh, don't be alarmed um, we're, 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 we're it's all above board and we're all out to, for, for a good cause and trade a few bob like hopefully so um, yeah, look, we're, we're, no, we're, we're, we're just going to have a, a good, good crack there's no pressure and, and no no time frame on doing it next weekend we're just going to go and have a bit of fun and um, hopefully you know what I mean if anybody is out and about you know honk the horn donate to the page whatever way they can like and share the page on Facebook run friendly whatever way they can help would be a huge huge um huge huge help too is really yeah well the go is a great idea there's lots of money being mm. made over since the pandemic kicked in in particular but I know it has always been there it's a terrific idea for everybody and everyone can see what's there and you can donate and, and you can uh, put your name yeah. to it or you can remain anonymous or whatever but yeah. it's a great it's a great initiative I mean 5 kilometres every 5 hours for a total of 55 hours it's a bit of an undertaking yeah. so uh, just remind us the other two runners with you Mark yeah so we have uh, Trevor Cody Trevor's from, from town down there in the Nall and Cash Downs and we have a uh, James Wise, um, better known as, as Jesse Wise. Uh, Jesse is from over New Park, so right. Uh, that I mean, South then the three of us then, and we've a couple of people who we know are going to join, come and run with us for a little bit here and there. You know what I mean? At different times, yeah. like Emily's dad, Marcus, is actually going to run an awful lot with us. An awful lot. The whole challenge with us, he's just he has to skip a couple of couple of runs on Friday with work, but he's going to be coming out with us for the rest of us. So. Um, yeah, no, look, um, there it's the three of us, and then and say Emily's dad is going to join in with us, and whoever else, if anyone else wants to join in for a commissar, I say it's a very, very safe route, and we know with COVID and stuff and social distancing, but look, there's, there's, it's a, it's a foot padded safe route the whole way around, um, the kind of the ring road and down the Waterford Road and stuff. So if anybody's out for a cycle with their kids or when he wants to join, just at the end of the group or the back of the group, you know, keeping social distancing and all in mind, they're more than welcome to come along and. Um, you know, join with us and uh, hopefully it's raise raise a bit of awareness for, for Emily's his um Emily's journey that she's going to be going on for the next two years. Yeah, well hopefully everything works out well for her there and hopefully you raise the funds that's required. And and tell me yeah. this, in relation to training for it, I know everyone that like yourselves that you describe yourself as amateur amateur, there's a lot of people run five Ks, but what you're doing yeah. is you're running more than five Ks, five K, five K, five K. But how have you prepared for it now? What if you were going for a run this evening, how far would you go or if you were going in the morning? I know it's close to when you're going to do it, but over the last few weeks if you're putting in steps, would you just do the ring road as well or would you do five miles a night, six miles, ten kilometres? What way did you prepare? Yeah, it's it, it, well, it's yeah, it, it's really kind of for some of this, it's really kind of about it's kind of consistency, really, like right. honest with you. Um, yeah. that's kind of the key, you know, um, consistency. But then I suppose look, you have to take other things into consideration as well. It's, it's sometimes I find a train like this and from doing stuff before, it's nearly as vital what you do when you're not on your feet running in terms of your your rest and your diet. Like you know, all these things kind of feed into it. So you're kind of you know you're conscious of all them things as well. Um, and yeah, like just training like that that you're it's really consistency more so than you know going out and you yeah. know, running long long distances really you know consistency and you know um, and what I found as well in my own training as well it, it's as much um, rather than just kind of going at the one pace slow steady runs it's kind of 
I do an awful lot of work myself training wise to um you know with heart rate and this kind of stuff, you know, without becoming too bogged down bogged down and all that kind of side yeah. thing, you know. It's just um you know, it just it, it just helps, you know what I mean? But um look it's consistency and I suppose what I consistency and what you tend to do, I think, outside of outside of your actually training if it makes sense in terms of you know what you eat and how you look after yourself in general all them things kind of feed into it like you know yeah. you all kind of you all kind of tie into into the into the, into the overall um, overall thing really um, I suppose the, 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 the big yeah. secret for the start uh, Mark is I suppose I know you'll be familiar with it because you're out and you're doing a bit of practice but I suppose when mm. you're going to do it 5k every 5 hours for the 55 hours like to pace yourself for the first one you wouldn't want to go out and you know you, you have to kind of it's like a lad going out to play in the All-Ireland Final or the Leinster Final yeah. you have to handle the occasion and even though there's just three of you and you're hoping you get a bit of support along the way with all the restrictions yeah. you, you just can't go out and burst it out of it and, 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 and run the road in a mad way for the first one or the second one because as you say it's 100%, not, it's not 100%. easy bounce it can be a little bit you know if the weather, yeah. the weather is cold it, it's not a help so you just have to pace yourself yeah. haven't you a hundred percent, yeah. No, look, it's very, yeah, it's 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 very similar to you say to any other sport, whether it be a field sport or any kind of endurance event. It really is because you know these things you kind of get caught up in the whole thing. And you yeah. Can, you know, you off you go, and I think a couple of people beeping out hard at you, give you a wave, and you off you go. And um, I, I know, and I know myself from doing previous mar- marathons before and stuff. Um, you know, you you can. I've done it before. I've learned the hard way. Um, going back to even the Dublin Marathon a couple of years ago or three or four years ago now. You know, you start off and you have like you just have hundreds of people on either side, and you do kind of, you can kind of get get caught up in the whole the emotion, the things. So yeah. you really need to just kind of really kind of be in tune and make the conscious decision. Um, you know, just slow down, kind of set a time that you're going to start, and just kind of stick to it and, and pull yourself back when you feel like you're going to pull your go go a bit far. Because your natural inclination is, I suppose, when you're feeling good, like you know, like probably in all our hurling final, like you know what I mean. I suppose that's what separates the the really, really, you know, the top players, the TGRs of the world, from some of the other guys, is that, you know what I mean? They're, you know, that they they, 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 they don't get carried away by the whole the, the whole emotion of the day and yeah, the whole. You handle you know, it, yeah. They handle it really well, just as much as if they were playing their, with their local club in a in a local league game. Do you know what I mean? That you know, they, they just they keep focused and they keep, stay. Fo- you know, they, they know they keep focused on the job at hand. That they're not um, they're not um. Overdoing um, yeah, it, like they're not, not over, you know, overcome by the whole yeah. occasion, which is which is quite a natural thing to do, like so no, you, you can do, you know. But you, yeah, you know what I mean. I think that's what separates the uh, uh, the really really good, good have, athletes from. Ha, have you from a target in mind, Mark, or are you just grateful for anything that you can get? Or have you set out a target? Is, is there a target on the GoFundMe that people can see that you're hoping to raise? Look, we have a target there. Of, yeah. of, um, we just put in like a couple of couple of thousand. We're nearly yeah. there, but I mean, look, we're not really look. Yeah, you'd be very grateful for what people can give and donate to. A hundred percent. We know, like people are look, it's difficult times at the moment. You know, with people would work, and I suppose the fear, you know, you know, um, in terms of employment and stuff and, and everything else. So look, we're not. There's un- nobody is under. We're under any pressure from anybody. Like, and, but and again, it, it's a cliche, but I mean, every fiver does actually add yeah, it up. Does, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, it it really, really does. Like, you know what I mean? And a lot of people go like, well, look. Five euro isn't an awful lot. Um, well, the even sim- a, even a yeah, the simple way of looking at it, if you've got a thousand people in Kilkenny to give you five or you five grand, and I think there could be a thousand people listening to that. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I had a lady, I had a lady yesterday, said she, she actually gave, donated a tenner, and she goes, Oh, look, she goes, I'm sorry, it was only a tenner. I said, Look, I said, like a tenner actually, you know, a tenners and tenner add up, like, you know, you'd be very, very Ten surprised. Hundreds, like, yeah, you know what I mean? yeah. And, you know, look, t- like ten euro is, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of money to people. Like, so, I mean, look, if, look at people who don't five or tenner. If like and even if they're not, even if they can like say go on and like 
done it or um, share and like the page maybe or, or whatever it is or maybe tell a friend about it or, or whatever way like there's lots of ways you can um, if you're not in a position to, to support financially if you are and you can donate something look it's fantastic um, and we would greatly greatly appreciate um, that and any other help we can get OK Mark well before you go just mention the GoFundMe page again and we hope everybody uh, logs on and shares that for you and we wish you and the lads the very best of luck when you're on the road there next Friday the 16th 5am you said you might meet a few on the ring road I think the only one you'll meet is the milkman but anyway <laughs> <laughs> sure, he <laughs> might join us you never know we might jump in the van with him maybe you never know <laughs> so just remind us of the GoFundMe page again yeah, so look, we're on, it's the GoFundMe page, it's it's uh, it's Run Friendly, and you'll find us on the GoFundMe page, and we're also on Facebook, uh, Run Friendly, and the link to the page is up there as well, so it's, it's Run Friendly. Um, so listen, yeah, anybody can help, and they're around next weekend, they want to join us, and, or they can donate, we would really appreciate it, it'd be fantastic. Finally, on Scoreline Extra, we're going to hear from Ireland's number one surfer, Garod McDade. He talks Olympic qualification, life as a surfer, and the year ahead. Garod, uh, just going to introduce you. You're a 24-year-old. You're from Sligo Town. You're one of Ireland's top competitive surfers uh, at the moment. Um, surfing, uh, a sport that is very, very niche, of course, um, but uh, a lot of people interested in it as well and always people willing to try it out uh, when they get to uh, uh, get to the sea, basically. Uh, yeah, well, it's definitely a niche sport and it's a grown sport in Ireland, but it's not, there's not many people that when they go surf and come back out and say they didn't love it and want to go again so it's pretty it's definitely a super fun sport <laughs> Absolutely and you need a lot of persistence as well to to get used to it I suppose as well but that's like that with any sport you improve with practice Ah yeah exactly you're never going to you're never going to master it straight away <laughs> I don't yeah. think anyone's really mastered it but uh, yeah it takes a good bit of time to get used to it and stuff but yeah it's super fun everyone loves it always um, Garod, you were uh, you got used to it pretty quick. You're Irish senior champion at 16, and uh, you're currently uh, in the qualifying series. It's the sort of third tier of surfing. You're inside the top 300 surfers in the world, and uh, you're not doing too bad for yourself. Uh, yeah, like uh, last few years has been well. This year I've been not doing too much, but uh, last years before that I was traveling a lot, doing the qualifying series, and. Uh, yeah, it's pretty hard. Like you're against all the best surfers in the world, and there's hundreds and hundreds of crazy good surfers. And uh, but yeah, the goal on that is to get into the top 100. Hopefully next year when contests come back. And uh, yeah, I've been super lucky that I have my sponsors that have kept me go- kept going with me through this year. That are going to allow me to be able to do it again all next year when everything starts back up. That's it. What's, tell us about that, Garod. Um, it must be extremely difficult. You know, the world is locked down, I suppose. Um, things are different. Competitions are all gone to the wall in a lot of different sports as well. Uh, yours have been cancelled and you've had to stay in Ireland as well, I presume. Um, th- that that was tough, I'd say. Yeah, like this year is definitely the longest I've ever been at home. It's been, well, it's been over a year now. I think the last trip I did was in February last year for a contest and then everything got shut down and stuff but uh, yeah I mean it's been a pretty fun year I've been lucky that I've still been able to surf uh, throughout the lockdowns being in, like as an elite athlete to train for the Olympics and stuff coming up and uh, which I've so like I've 
it's been okay. I've been super lucky that I've been able to do that. Um, but yeah, uh, we've had good waves all this winter and stuff like that. But yeah, I am dying to get away now. Hopefully, uh, we have the Olympic qualifiers coming up at the end of May in El Salvador. So it's looking like that could be my first trip away. And uh, hopefully, we get to go do that. And that's your sole focus at the moment, is it? Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of like when they cancelled the Olympics last year. I started like really focusing on gave me another year to like properly get training and work on all my fitness and everything. When I wasn't traveling, you're staying at home, and there's literally nothing else you can do except go surf and come home and train. So it kind of was a pretty good year for that, and yeah, super focused now to try and qualify for the Olympics and then uh, Tokyo and I think it's in June or July Yeah and like is it hard to stay on top of your game Garod when you're in Ireland all of the time like how do our waves compare to other countries like obviously there's going to be a difference it's like a lot of different sports you'd have good tracks here and bad tracks somewhere else if you're a driver for argument's sake or, or whatever it is Yeah well the waves in Ireland are probably the best that you're going to get anywhere in the world but that's not always a good thing for trying to get ready for contests because a lot of the time the contests aren't in very good waves because they're only over a week period and sometimes the swells aren't good and stuff wherever you are in the world but uh yeah like the other main thing in ireland to stay motivated through going out in the cold is one of the toughest things like no matter how good the waves are when it's snowing and stuff it's really hard to stay motivated which has been the biggest um, challenge this year is staying motivated to go surf when the waves are bad, to train for when the contests start back up. But uh, luckily, we've had quite a lot of good waves this winter at home, so it's been easy enough just trying to start training my small wave surfing now again for when the con comes on next month. Okay. Um, and going back to the start of your journey, Garod, um, your father was involved in surfing when you were a little fella. Was he a big influence on, on your career choice? Oh, yeah. Like, my dad started surfing years ago. Like, he was 18 or 19 back in Rosnaula, just uh, after the Britons and stuff in Rosnaula. My dad was watching them and he got into surfing back then and he kind of got me and all my brother and my sister into it when we were younger uh but i was the only one that fully stuck with it and yeah he literally from when i was 10 brought me surfing every day after school or every single weekend if i couldn't uh get in after school during the week when it was dark but we literally spent hours driving up and down the coast searching for waves so my dad definitely uh, had a big influence on helping me get to where I am today. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Like, you were the Irish senior champion at 16, you were representing Ireland at 13, and obviously there came a point there that you said, God, I could make a career out of this, because you went pro straight out of school, didn't you? Yeah, well, I was lucky in school. I picked up some uh, sponsors of uh, just in my last year of school, um, Rip Curl and Monster, two big kind of brands in surfing that uh, allowed to me to become full pro after school. I had some really good local sponsors before that that were helping me to travel, uh, to do contests and stuff while I was still in school. But um, yeah, as soon as I left school, I was really lucky to come into uh, Rip Curl and Monster as my two main sponsors. And yeah, they've been supporting me since that and it's been going good since then. 
Yeah, they're big sponsors. They're huge names. Um, Lewis Hamilton, Formula One driver, sponsored by Monster. Um, you know, the big, big brand uh, as well. So they're nice ones to land, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, was definitely. I was super happy when they came on board of me and they've been supporting me the whole time and they're supportive of everything I do, which is great. Yeah, and if I was to ask you, do you drink much Monster? You're going to have to say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the best. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Lovely product placement there. Um, yeah. So come here, like you were saying, Ireland is good, some of the best waves in the world, but where's your favourite place to surf? Uh, well, my favourite place to surf in Ireland is in Bundoran. Like, there's just so many good waves around there in such a short uh, space of coastline. Like, there's ridiculous amount of waves. And, um, yeah, there's like, the main wave, the peak in the centre of Bundoran town. You can't really get a much better wave or more consistent wave than that. breaks every single day, no matter what, really. It might change a bit with the winds and stuff, but it's always good. Um but other than Ireland, I'd say one of my favourite places was probably Nicaragua. We went, for, I was there for a contest and it was just like pretty much epic waves every single day for like three weeks. <laughs> so And you're in shorts and warm and no, not much worries about getting cold ever. But that was uh, definitely a bonus and uh, yeah, I definitely loved it over there. As you said, it helps with the motivation when it's a bit warmer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I arrived this morning there and it started hailing and snowing. It wasn't very nice. <laughs> yeah, and you're standing there going, oh, here we go. We have to do it. Out we go. Um, yeah, so, like, um, yeah, it's interesting just hearing the different things about surfing, the different, like you were saying, different places, um, you know, because when my perception of surfing is that it's done in the likes of Australia and places where there's massive waves and Ireland probably doesn't have that and all that. But it's good to hear that Ireland has a, is a good place to go as well. And like you said, Bundoran has a place where it breaks every day and there's certain areas that you can go as well, which which is sort of cool. And in general, um, Garod, uh, is surfing... Do people come to Ireland to surf? Oh, yeah. Like, it's one of... It's known across the world, Ireland, as having some of the best waves. Like, if, if there's ever a swell at, like... A, do we get like some big waves at Mullochmore and stuff? And if there's ever a swell other than this year, you have like the top international surfers flying from all over the world for one day at Mullochmore. So like it's known around the world that Ireland has some of the best waves ever. That's pretty cool. And come here, when you travel off surfing or, or you go practicing or training yourself, is there any mates that go with you or do you have a group or anything like that? Uh, I have a couple of friends that I travel with doing the QS, a couple of guys from England, a couple of guys from Europe. Yeah, we all travel and stay together, which is great. We all support each other really well. And then when I go to the world now, hopefully uh, we all go with the Irish surf team, people that have uh, qualified um, within Ireland to go to the contest. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of, you never really traveling by yourself you always try and have someone like a bit of a support group but yeah just uh it's a lot easier than traveling the whole way by yourself but sometimes you have to and uh yeah, it's still not too bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're doing something you love for a living as well. And we were talking about you trying to qualify for the Olympics this summer. And just to let listeners know as well, surfing's making its debut at the Olympics uh, this year. That's that's great news, obviously, um, especially for yourself. Yes, great. Like it's kind of gonna be. It's gonna be great for surfing, and it's just kind of gonna 
puts us on more of the mainstream platform. It's kind of always been an underground sport that everyone kind of looked at as not really a full, like, elite sport. But hopefully now, being in the Olympics, people are going to realize that it's a full professional sport and, yeah, it'll get catch the eye of some mainstream brands and hopefully open up some avenues for not only myself, but some younger kids coming up in Ireland and um, just to have the support that I've been lucky enough to have. And, um, yeah, hopefully that'll what it'll do for Seth and in this country and throughout the world as well. That's it from Scoreline Extra, the podcast that gives you the best of our interviews from Scoreline at the weekend. Check out more on scoreline.ie.